Have you ever uh, gotten caught up in the middle of a dispute? Maybe with family members. Uh, there's some dynamics going on with the family. And you're the one that people come to to tell everybody's side of the story. Or maybe at work, you're in the middle of conflict between two uh, divisions or things along the lines. Or maybe it's, it's with friends, you know, and you feel like, man, I'm caught in the middle here. If I choose a side, I'm, I'm going to get burned no matter what I do. When our passage this weekend, Jesus is going to get almost drawn into this family dispute over an inheritance by two brothers. And one of the brothers comes to Jesus, and he's basically saying, Jesus, you need to decide for us. And Jesus really wasn't interested in settling the dispute for the man. He was more concerned with the state of the man's heart because he saw something that was going on in the man's life that was bigger than the inheritance. And I want to read that passage. It's found in Luke chapter 12 and verse 13. Let me start reading because this gives us the context, and then Jesus is going to tell a parable, a story. Luke 12, verse 13. Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? And then he said, Beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. So the first thing we have is this urgent request brought to Jesus by the brother. And it was very, uh, uh, oftentimes, civil suits, these disputes many times were brought to rabbis. And the rabbis would decide uh, these suits. But Jesus, uh, and, and so the man came to Jesus hoping that Jesus would intervene he would uh, decide and he would get his inheritance. But Jesus, as I said, saw a bigger problem within the man. He began to speak to the man. And it's interesting what Jesus does here. He speaks to the man, but he's also speaking to the crowd because there's a crowd around him. But he's also speaking to the disciples. So it's like he's having this conversation, but then he knows that other people are engaging at different levels in this conversation. So we have this all going on. The man thought his crisis was that his brother was cheating him out of his inheritance. But Jesus saw that he was on a very dangerous path and that he needed to stop. He thought his inheritance was absolutely critical to his life. But Jesus was trying to show the man that the pursuit of wealth was not what life was all about. You see, for the man, the money had become more important than even his relationship to his brother. He was willing to to, uh, jettison his relationship to his brother. But Jesus wanted this man to see, and he wants us to see, really, that we're not, uh, our existence isn't about our possessions. It's more than that. Jesus continually sought to show people that he he encouraged them to, to, he, he came to them, and he basically, when he met people, Jesus basically said, not in these words, but he illustrated this. This is what your life is meant to be. And so this young man comes to him, and he says, my life is about the inheritance. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Your life isn't about the inheritance. This is what your life is meant to be. He wanted the man man to see that getting rich and losing relationships was not a good path to take. Jesus directed the man uh, to life. Essentially, what Jesus was saying to this man is, you're standing before life. I am life. (laughs) You know, I'm the one that gives life. And the pursuit of wealth is not life. I'm life. (laughs) Now, we often have the same attitude as the man. 
But here's how we often pursue it. And we do this with God and we do this with others. We seek something other than him. We say, Jesus, tell them to give me a job because I need this job. And if I have this job, then I'll have what I need in life. Or Jesus, tell them to marry me because if I, get, if I marry this person, then um, I'll, have, I'll have the relationship that I want. Or Jesus, tell them to heal me because after all, if I'm healed, then, then my life will be better and, and all those things. And, and the question is, why do we approach Jesus like that? Why do we say, Jesus, tell him to, you know, tell God, tell your father to do it, you know? And why do we do that? Because we think that if we just had this, whatever it is, uh, this job, this relationship, health, uh, wealth, you know, our inheritance, if we just had those things, then we're going to find that complete fulfillment, that satisfaction that we all desire. Now, how many, how often have you, you, you done this? How often have you come to Jesus and you haven't said this directly, but indirectly you have. You, you've said, Jesus, I want this so much. I need this so much. And you're essentially saying to Jesus, I exist for this. And Jesus is going to come back to us and say, no, that's not why you exist. And, and, and what Jesus says to us over and over and over, and what he's saying to this man is he's saying, I'm not here to get you things for life. I'm here to give you life. And, and, and I wonder sometimes if we use Jesus as somebody to get things for life rather than getting life. And, and these things are not life. These things are important. You know, having a job, having a relationship. Those are important things, but they're not primary things. They're not life. They're part of life, but they're not life. They can't become the primary things. And we often approach Jesus and here's the principle I want you to, to hear this weekend. Jesus didn't come to give us things. He came to give us life. And so the young man, the man comes to him and he says, I need this. You, just, you give me this or find a way for me to get this. And Jesus says, you, need, you don't need that. You need me. You need me. And when you find me, those things will take their rightful place. But until you find me, they won't. And then he tells him, so then Jesus goes on and he begins to tell the story. And the story, again, is told for the man, for the disciples, and for the crowd, because they're all going to hear this story that he's going to tell them. And he's going to warn the man about his current path if he continues down it. Basically, what he's going to say is, you may die wealthy, but you're going to die alone. So let's read the, the, the rest of the passage. Uh, pick it up at uh, verse 13 of chapter 12. Then he told him a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced the cr fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have any room for any crops. And then he said, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry." But God said, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Yes, a person who is a fool who, to, to store up earthly wealth, but not be, have rich, a rich relationship with God. Now, what's missing from this story? I find this story very interesting, and there's something missing from this story. There's no mention of family and friends. Uh, he has no one but himself to talk to. He's doing an inner dialogue here. 
He's sitting down saying, friend, yes, yes, friend, you have money. You know, I mean, he's having this inner discussion. And in the middle of this inner discussion, God jumps in and says, you know, you're a fool. You're a fool. He doesn't even have anybody to talk to. And God jumps in and, 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 and he, he joins the discussion. Um, he calls him a fool. Now, what does he mean by that? He doesn't mean you're um, unintelligent, that you're stupid. What he is saying is something pretty important. And, and, and the Bible talks a lot about a, a, a person who is a fool. And a fool in the Bible is defined as a person who operates as though there is no God. They operate without any concern for the presence or the direction of God in their lives. They, they just don't behave as though there is a God. And his money has made him a fool. His money has spiritually blinded him to the reality, the spiritual reality. He was living uh, as though this life was all there is. How many of your friends and neighbors and coworkers and people around you are living that way? They're living as though this life is all there is. There's no place for God. There's no part that God plays in their lives. And the Bible would say, spiritually speaking, that's foolishness. It's foolishness. Uh, Jesus uh, said to him, you're a fool. Um, you think this material world is all there in. You, it is, you fool. You, you, you're, and he says this. He says it's so stark and it's so dark. He says, you're dying tonight. It's over. I mean, it's like, boom. It's like right there it is. Now who's going to get the stuff? Who's going to get all this stuff that you just built new barns for and stuffed all this stuff? Wh- who's going to get all of this? You know, he didn't know his money was... He, what he didn't know is that the money that he spent on himself, he wouldn't live on. Uh, you know, here's the thing. When you spend money on yourself, um, there's nothing wrong with taking care of yourself, but when you overspend on yourself, that's money that's gone. Uh, he, he didn't know that all the barns would be go to other hands. He didn't know that whatever clothes, whatever assets he had were gone. That night, they were all gone. Um, That everything that he valued and everything they held dear was absolutely that night was going to lose complete value to him. It was going to mean valueless to him. The man was rich to himself, but he was cheap to others. He was on a blind pursuit of wealth. He was wasting his wealth on himself. Uh, You know what? It was John Ortberg who wrote a book, and and he basically says it all goes back into the box. And the picture is... And you play like a game of Monopoly. You, you play the game, but at the end of the game, it all goes back into the box. And you know, that's our life. You know, it doesn't matter how much money you have at the end of the game. It doesn't matter how much property you have at the end of the game. When the game is over, it all goes, it all goes back into the box. And that's really what is going on here, that God is saying, you know what, you fool. You haven't understood you're playing a game, and it all goes back into the box. It doesn't matter how much wealth you have. It doesn't matter how much property you have, because you have no one to share it with. And you have no one to give it to, and it's all going to go away, and you've wasted it. Here's the principle we want to see here, that only your investment in the lives of others brings real wealth. The man was blinded to the principles of the king. God's kingdom's principles are so different than the world that we live in. They're so different. Here's a couple of them. Here's what Jesus says. If you want to have treasure in heaven, empty your barns and invest in others. 
Don't store it up so that you could spend it on yourself. Give it away. Use it to bless others. That's the kingdom principles. If you want to have wealth, give it away. If you have full barns, give it away. Uh, if you, here's another one. If you want to find yourself, empty yourself. Uh, empty yourself before God and allow Him to fill you up. Uh, if you want to find forgiveness, uh, empty yourself by confes- confession and allow Him to fill you up with His forgiveness. You see, that, those are the kingdom principles. But here's the point. Giving is a, is a part, is an essential part of the Christian life. You know, there's three virtues that have been uh, kind of uh, seen for, since the beginning of the church as the essence, the, the, the basics of, the basic virtues of the Christian life, and they're faith, hope, and love. <clears throat> and you know what? Faith, hope, and love, when we think about wealth, we think about money, it has a lot to say about uh, our faith, hope, and love. Like, for instance, faith. The question is, why don't you give more? Why don't you empty your barns more? Why don't you do that? And the reason is, I believe, one of the reasons is, because I'm afraid that God won't be able to take care of me or he won't take care of me. So I want to maintain full barns so that I have an emergency and an extra emergency and an extra emergency fund so that I have more, much more than I ever would need so that if God doesn't come through, I can take care of myself. So we don't need faith. And I've, you know, I've said this before, it's easier to trust God when I have a full bank account than when I'm just living on the edge, Right? And now, I'm not trying to give you principles of finances. That's not what I'm doing. I'm saying, though, that where is your trust? Where is your faith? Is it in your bank account? Is it in your full barns? Because that's where the man's was. And Jesus says, that's, that's foolishness. Will you trust me to take care of you and provide for you? So that's where faith comes in. So how we use our wealth, how we use our money, is really directly tied to faith. It also is direct to, directly tied to hope. How I leverage my money shows where my hope is placed. Jesus said this. Notice what he says. Uh, Don't store up your treasures here on earth where moth eats them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. Your hope right now will be clearly and directly and quickly revealed when you hear God say to you, tonight, it all goes back into the box. Tonight it's over. And you'll know whether you're, where your hope is. Uh, when God comes to you and says, tonight, you're done. And that will reveal your hope, where your hope is. So faith is, is part of it. Hope is part of it. And it, these virtues are revealed by how we use our, our money. That's why Jesus says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So he saw a direct correlation there. And let's, let's talk about love for a moment. Faith, hope, and love. We could say to a person, you know, I love you. I love you, but I'm not going to help you. <laughs> you know, I, I really love you, but I'm not going to help you, you know. But, but when God breaks your heart, we are moved to action and sacrifice because we have experienced His love, grace, and mercy. We're willing to put our money where our mouth is. Uh, we, 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 you know, love that is not put into action is really not love. We can say all we want. We can, you know, say all the nice things, but it, when, where the rubber meets the road is where 
where are we putting our money? And when God directs our hearts, we willingly sacrifice. We become poor for others because Jesus became poor for us. And this is really the motivation uh, where I want to finish uh, as we go. You know, uh, Scripture says, and the Gospel says this. This is 2 Corinthians 8, 9. And I love this verse. I think it's so important for us to really just allow it to drip into our hearts and our souls. It says this, Paul writes, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Jesus became poor so that you could become rich. If we come to God and say, I'm empty, he will fill us up. If we rely upon our full barns for significant security and satisfaction, then we'll never seek him. We'll, 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 we'll say, well, I'd rather rely on my barns than on him. We won't need him. We won't seek him. But when we seek him, we will find the life that only he can offer. You see, here's what was going on with the young man. The young man came to a point and said, I need this inheritance. For whatever reason, whether it was for security or significance or satisfaction in life, he needed this. And Jesus says, no, you, don't, you need me. Will you trust me for that? Because I can give you that. And I can give you more than that. In fact, if you come to be empty, if you just not worry about your inheritance and you come to me, you will find life. Uh, don't worry about the barns. They'll take care of themselves. Here's what uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians. God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. You see, Jesus gave up his riches. He emptied his barns for us. He did this for us willingly. Here's how you know. Here's how you know you've come to a place where you are relying on his riches and not full barns. Jesus will become precious to you. You'll say, there is nothing on this earth, there is nothing that this earth can offer me, there's nothing this world can offer me that is more precious to my heart, to my soul, than Jesus. You know, there is an old uh, spiritual, and it says, just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. And so Jesus meets this, young, this man, and he's saying, you know, you need to settle this dispute. Jesus says, there's a, bigger, there's a deeper problem on. You're looking for this to bring you whatever you think you need, and I'm the only one that can do that. Would you walk away from that, and you would come follow me, and you'll find what you're looking for? And Jesus is saying the same thing to us. So how do we live, and that's really what we're going to try to do in the, as we close this series, how do we live beyond ourselves? How do we live beyond ourselves? And so we've tried to, through this month, try to give you one small step. Try to give you, say, what's a step that you can take to live beyond yourself? And I want to give you uh, a couple of things that you can think about. Don't try to do them all, but maybe this is, you know, through some of these suggestions, um, you can take a step. Number one, empty your barns for him. Empty your barns for him. Uh, you know, maybe you need to begin to give to others from out of the, the, the uh, resource and out of the excess of your barns. Look to the needs of others. I, I want to challenge you to look to give to Hope Church so that we can continue doing ministry 
in this community. You know, we don't do bake sales. We don't do special offerings. I mean, special, uh, you know, bazaars or things like that. Frankly, all that we do is we say, hey, we need you to help us support the ministry of what we're trying to do here. And so maybe if you're not giving consistently or regularly to his local church, and by the way, wherever you go to a church, wherever you go to a local church, you ought to financially support that church. You ought to give that church your time, your talent, and your treasure, wherever you go. But if you're going here, then that's a responsibility you have to the local assembly. Number three, will you look for opportunities to invest your resources in people? You see, that's where life goes on. And I, th- I love the video that we saw because what was going on there is somebody was investing in somebody who was investing in someone who was investing in someone. And we see how it all played out. And I'm just saying, would you look for opportunities to invest your resources in others? And then finally, is there some way that you can give to his kingdom this week specifically sacrificially and joyfully. Don't do it because of guilt. Don't do it out of obligation. Do it because you say, you know what? I have extra in my barn. I'm going to release that for his kingdom. I'm going to release that for his church. I'm going to release that in somebody's life. But write down specifically something that you can do this week to do that and empty your barns. Because it may be that God's going to say to you one day, and it may be, we don't know when, he may say tonight. Tonight. Number two, Invest your life in others. Who around you needs to... You know, um, there, are, there are three kinds of... There's multiple kinds of relationships that I have around me, and you have them too. There's one relationship is just a really nice person. And you, 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 you meet with them, you talk with them, and you kind of like you're left kind of where you were. It's a good relationship. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing... Then there's a relationship where... You, you, you're with a person, and it's like a vampire. It's like uh, the, t- the, two, the two terminals of the battery, and you're shorted together. And it feels like you just, like they sucked the life and energy out of you. And it's like, I'm, I'm just like dizzy, worn out, because I'm emotionally drained by this person. And you know what I'm talking about. There are some people that you have like that. And it's like, man, I just can't, I can't be with a whole bunch of people like that because I'll just kill myself or something. Well, you know, I, you know what I mean. But you just get to the point where you go, man, this is not good. Then there's a few people, and I hope you have a few people like this in your life. And you just have lunch with them or they call you up. They send you a note. They send you a text. They're always the kind of person, when you connect with them, you'd like walk away and go, wow, was that so cool or what? I mean, it's like, I just feel like I just got charged up, you know? Like they, they jumped my battery, and it's like, whoa, man, I'm ready to go here, you know? And you know what? Can you be that somebody? To, can you be that blessing? Can you be that battery charger to somebody? Can you, can you bring a kind word to somebody? Uh, who needs... Uh, an assist from you. You know, uh, I watched a basketball game uh, last night. I'm going to watch one tonight probably. And one of the things that I love watching are the guys or the girls, the, the players on the team that, that don't really necessarily make the shots, but they make the assists. They just kind of get the ball the right place at the right time. And the other person gets the, you know, the, the score. And, and is there somebody that you can give an assist to, that you can set them up, you can help them? 
Uh, is there someone that you can help for no reason this week? For no reason. And you could do it specifically, strategically, and intentionally. And you just do it. I mean, empty your barns and invest your life in others. And then when God comes to you and says, tonight, you go, I'm ready. I'm ready. My barns are like almost empty, you know. That's fine, you know, because it's all going away anyways, right? Here's what Jesus said. I love this passage. I want to close with this passage. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you, you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply. Now let me just stop there for a minute. Those who know Jesus Christ, when the Lord comes and says, it's tonight, you go, okay, I'm ready. And one day in heaven, this is going to happen. <laughs> and he says, then those righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you. And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are doing it to me. You want to live beyond yourself? It's not going to come from stuffing your barns full and living out life and all the resources on yourself. You have to say, I'm going to empty the barns. I'm going to invest my life and the life of others. And when you do that, you will live beyond yourself. That is the way you do it. The young man, the man comes to Jesus, says, I need this inheritance. Jesus says, no, you need me. He tells him a story about a man who said, you know, I was rich towards myself. I don't have anyone around to talk, talk with. And God says, you're a fool. And he says to us, you can either have full barns and die alone, or you can empty your barns and do a tremendous amount of good for the kingdom of God. May God help us to make that right decision. Let's pray. Father, help us to uh, take some practical steps to empty our barns and to invest our lives in others. Help us not to be like the man with the barns who was all alone, rich but alone, full barns, empty life. Father, may, our, may, our, may we reverse this and say, we desire that our barns will be empty and our lives will be full as we share what we have with others. For your kingdom and your glory, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> I am here tonight. I wanted to share for two minutes. Give me two more minutes. I am here tonight because people shared the gospel with me. I just preached a sermon tonight because people shared the gospel with me. And multiple people, books I read, things, sermons I heard, friends that came, and Bible studies that I went to. But 
Little by little, God used many people to bring me to a place of faith. I think if we were to ask you, you would be able to list five or six or ten or twenty different people and resources, pastors, whatever, that shared to the point where you came and you understood you were in desperate need of the Lord. And there's a lot of people in this community, and we have an opportunity to make a difference. We're working through our 5 for 15, and it's an initiative where we, we just wanted to focus for the next three years on really important things. We said we want people to meditate, to reflect upon the Scripture daily. We spent a year on the Eat This Book. was about all about that. We said we want people to be on their faces and on their knees before God, dependent upon God in prayer. And so uh, a year ago in the fall, we had a month where we focused on prayer. We had a rally down by the river, a prayer rally. So next, next month, next weekend, we're going to focus on evangelism. No, evangelism is a big word. And really, what we're talking about is this. And here's where I'm going to go. I just want you to know where I'm going to go. I'm asking you to make a a concerted effort to be here every week because I think it'll be really important. We're going to talk about... the, The first message we're going to talk about, we're all part of a team. There wasn't one person that played the role. There were multiple people that played a role. And if you think about your life, that's true. So think of yourself as part of the team. Then we're going to talk about how Peter tells us that we need to be prepared to give an answer. You say, well, how are we going to do that? How am I going to give an answer? I don't have a lot of knowledge. We'll help you with that. Uh, We're going to say, know the soil, because sometimes you're dealing with a person that's very cold and very closed. And, and And then there's other times you're dealing with somebody who's really ready. And you have to know the difference between that. Then we're going to talk about this idea of, of do people have to clean up their act before they come to Jesus? So that's where we're going to go with the messages. But as Daryl said, everyone's going to be involved from the cradle to, to the grave, <laughs> so to speak. You know, And uh, some of you are closer than others, and it may not be due to your age. But the point is we're all going to engage with this, and we want everybody to engage. We want all hands on deck. Um, we want the whole church to be part of this. And what I'm going to do is, in each one of the messages, I'm going to do like a napkin testimony. Because there have been multiple times where I'm having lunch with people, and I'm just looking for something to write with. And I just grab a napkin, and I'll write down like a gospel presentation. We're going to do that for four weeks. And I'm going to do like three minutes napkin presentation. We're going to do it up here. I'm going to draw it. You're going to draw it. And and you're going to learn how to do that. We're going to memorize four really important verses through the month uh, of what it means, what is the gospel, and what that's all about. Uh, We're going to do all of that. I really want you to come. I really want you to engage. I really want you as a family to say, this is going to be a month where we're going to devote ourselves to becoming better at sharing the faith that that somebody shared with us so that others can know Jesus Christ. Uh, why Why are we going to do this? Why are we going to do this? Because Jesus said this. Would you stand with me? Let me just read it to you. Jesus said this, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's what we're going to focus on in February. 
how to let your light shine before others. So I hope you'll join us. I hope you'll come and you'll engage. And I guarantee you, God will bless you for that. And I guarantee you, this community will be changed because of it.